0: Good morning. I loved that old song, didn't you? Now you just told how old you were if you loved it. <clears throat> Great song. Great song. I know we have the kids in here today, and I know you're suffering, but you'll be all right. A lot of us grew up sitting in church with our parents every single Sunday. Can you imagine that? And we turned out okay. We just found ways uh, to occupy our time, and I'm going to ask you to help me out here a little bit later in the service. So today is Memorial Day weekend. Welcome to summer. I let my son pick my shirt out for me. He always goes with the Haitian, Hawaiian look, and so I like it. Summertime, get the grill out, and uh, also today's a fifth Sunday, and every time there's a fifth Sunday, which is once a quarter... We bring all the children in, give our main children's team a break, and also the students and everybody's here together like one big family. That's kind of what we're talking about today. We're wrapping up our family life series, family life, and we're talking about, um, you know, what what it takes to have a, a great family. And just as a recap, maybe you haven't been here, maybe you're a guest from out of town, Or maybe this is your first time. You're from in town. Welcome, thank you. If you are a guest, first time guest, make sure you pick up your uh, guest water bottle on your way out. You know we're doing water bottles now, so pretty cool. But we've been talking about family, and we we established the fact that what 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 takes what does it take to make a great family, a a family that God honors, a family that God blesses, and we said at the very beginning that you know it takes a solid marriage. Now I realize we live in the fallen world that we live in and some, there are single moms or single dads raising their kids and and God bless you, we're praying for you, we want to partner with you, we want to help you. That's the situation you're in, but that's not ideal, is it? And if you're in that situation, you know it's not ideal. And some of you have never been married and maybe you're not going to get married and that's fine too, you know, the Bible uh, approves of that. You can devote more time to... Well, what you want to do, <laughs> you know, when you're married, you got to do what they want to do some, right? Anybody compromising in their marriage? <laughs> Anybody always get their own way? But if you're single, you don't have to do so much of that unless you have, you know, animals, maybe you have to compromise. Uh, but we've said that it's, it's a traditional biblical marriage that is the foundation of a, of a family that God honors and blesses. And of course, because it's a biblical marriage, it is founded, that marriage is on the Word of God, which makes the whole family founded on the Word of God. And we've talked about parenting, we talked about conflict. Last week, we used kind of an obscure passage about the bones of Joseph and talked about our legacy, how does that relate to our legacy? And you'll have to go back and listen to that message, but basically, Joseph wanted to people his people to know god's always going to be with you and this is not your home egypt is not your home and for you and i the lesson there is this world is not our home i know we get pretty comfortable we try to make life easier here there's nothing wrong with that as long as we don't forget that this world is not our home our home is in heaven right that's our heavenly home and that's the assurance, the blessed assurance that we have in Christ. Well, today I want to wrap up this series by talking about a kind of a different kind of family, but the kind of family that if you're in Christ, that you're a part of. And, of course, that is the family of God, the family of God. Now, you and I are parts of a family where we are blood relatives or maybe through adoption, or uh, some kind of marriage, we're families, some people, you have families, but the family of God is something bigger than that, isn't it? We are related by blood, but it's whose blood? The blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, so this this is the family of God, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in a very small church, and like I said, we all attended church together, and and usually my uh, grandparents were sitting behind us, and my mom sometimes would be on the same row. Sometimes she was behind us, but she always kept me in her view, maybe right in front of her, and uh, she had a pretty sharp knuckle. The reason I know this is because it came down on my head a few times, you know, if I got out of line or boom. And there were times when I had to go use the restroom but I didn't dare ask or move. I held it. My mom knew I was young, and all my uh, faculties and all my bodily functions were intact, and I could hold it. Now, if I had been a 60-year-old man or a 50-year-old woman, she might have cut me some slack. But we sat there, and we, we, uh, we stayed in the service, and, it, and those were good times. Those were good times. It's a family of God. We're a family. Now, the Bible talks a lot about this family, talks a lot about it. In the New Testament, the family is referred to by several names. I'm going to go through these quickly, but here's at least eight of them. In Galatians 6, the the Apostle Paul describes the family as the household of faith. It's a household of faith. I hope that's your household too. uh, He refers in 1 Timothy 3.15 to this family as the house of God, coming to the house of God. A lot of different places, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and many other places, he calls it the body of Christ. And that's a familiar term to us, isn't it? It's the body of Christ. You know, there's, the, there's different parts of the body. That's the 1 Corinthians 12. But we are all together. You might be a hand, you might be a toe, you might be an ear, you might be a, a mouth. Uh, we're all different parts. That's why everybody's needed in the body of Christ. But who's the head? Jesus is the head. So the church is the body of Christ. It's a great image. He also refers to the church as God's field. It's a field. That's kind of an interesting passage. You know, I'm in the process of getting all my garden planted. How many of you plant a garden? Yeah, so we, some of us plant gardens, and you know you have to work the garden, you have to plant the Plant the seeds. You have to work the seeds. You pray for some rain, but not too much. And then you, and then you have to weed. And you know that's that's kind of God's field. Think of the church like that. God's planting, and He's weeding out, and He's pruning, and He's He's going to get some fruit from this. Also, God's building. He refers to the church as God's building, kind of like the house of God. God's building. Peter refers to the church as a spiritual house. You remember Peter talks about, we are all living stones. Remember that? Like stones, like bricks in a wall. And you and I are being built into something beautiful. He also refers to it in 1 Peter 5, that was 2-5, 1 Peter 2-5, and 1 Peter 5-2, the flock of God. So you've heard the church referred to as the flock, take care of the flock. Elders are supposed to help take care of the flock and, and leaders, And finally, I think the most beautiful picture of the church, the most beautiful representation we find in the book of Revelation, and it's one familiar to you, it's the bride of Christ. So the church is the bride, and he is the husband. And so you and I are being prepared. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a wedding, either on the, uh, you know, you're one of the participants or you're the parent of a wedding, but if you're the mother of the bride, uh, then you've got a lot of work to do, and some of you may be in the process of doing that now. If you're a father of the bride, just uh, uh, shut your mouth and open your wallet. That's the best advice I can give to you. And do it happily. Do it happily, right? But the, this picture of the bride is a beautiful picture. Is a... We're we're not perfect, but we're the bride of Christ, and he loves us. Now, you may wonder why there's so many different pictures to describe the church in the New Testament. And the reason is because it's so incredible. It's such a a, a unique and amazing organism that no one picture can fully capture it. And so the, the writers of Scripture, you know, they use a lot of different... Uh, titles, and these probably aren't, this is not an exhaustive list, there's probably more. When Jesus, you know, Jesus only talked about the church, he only mentioned the church, the word ekklesia, which means to call out, ek is the Greek prefix for out, and kaleo is the word for to call, and so when they used this word church, it was the word ekklesia, to call out. To call out. So Jesus only used it twice. And the first time he used it was in Matthew 16 after Peter had made his good confession. You remember that? And he said, blessed are you, Simon. Uh, God has revealed this to you. And he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church... An unshakable kingdom that the devil cannot defeat. He was talking about what we call the capital C church. The capital C church is uh, is the church universal. So y- you might be a part of Gateway Church, but we're all a part of the capital C church. And the capital C church exists all over the world and at, at all times since uh, Jesus came and gave his life for it. It's a church universal. But the church universal exists in smaller gatherings like this one. And all over America today, all over the world, Christians are gathering wherever they gather to do what we're doing right now, to come together, to, to sing songs, to read Scripture, to pray, to hear a message, to take the Lord's Supper And, uh, and, you know, be be inspired and motivated to go out and share the love of Christ and the gospel with other people. And people are doing this all over the world today, right now. Some of them have already met. Some of them will meet later today. And this is what we do. We meet on the Lord's Day on Sunday, and this is called a local church. You know, when the Apostle Paul addressed his letters, at the very beginning of many of his letters, he would address it to a local church, not to the whole church, but, for instance, to the church at Galatia or Ephesus or Philippi or Colossae or Thessalonica. Like those churches, Gateway Christian Church is a local church, and all those the concept of the church universal, capital C church, came from the perfect mind of God and has a perfect Savior in Christ Jesus, every local church is an imperfect organism or institution or body, right? Because every local church is made up of imperfect people like You, and like me, and like the person sitting next to you. Look at the person that's sitting next to you, but don't point any fingers. They're not very perfect, are they? Now, maybe they are to you, but let's be honest. We're not perfect. We're not a perfect person. We're not a perfect church. Neither is the church down the street. In fact, if you're looking for the perfect church, let me help you out you're not going to find it because it's made up of people. And we make mistakes. Preachers make mistakes. Elders make mistakes. Members make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't. Sometimes we do things we shouldn't. Sometimes we don't do what we should. I mean, we're we're human beings, aren't we? And, uh, you know, if, if you've been in this church any length of time, you could probably, you might have a list. I hope you're not keeping a list. love. You know, the Bible says love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, but you might have some things you could point out to somebody else. Yeah, Let me tell you how Dave has messed up over the years. And I guarantee you there's a list, but hopefully it's washed out by the blood of Christ. But like a building being built or a field being worked or a flock being tended or a bride growing to maturity and getting ready for her Uh, for her day, big day, the church is always a work in progress. It's a work in progress. It's a spiritual house being built by Jesus. Now, according to the New Testament, we gather every week. This is called the Lord's Day, and this is what we do. This is, I don't know about you, but if I'm out of town, I don't feel right unless I find a place to worship. Uh, A lot of times when I'm with my greater family, we'll have our own worship service. You know, right there on the beach or, you know, in the condo or wherever we are, you know, for in the mountains. And uh, that's a good thing to do. <clears throat> the Bible says in Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I'm not really sure, I think I am, I'm not sh- really sure what the habit here is. Is the habit going to church, or is the habit staying out of church? I tend to believe that good habit here is going to church. That's what he said, as is the habit of some, because a habit insinuates that you're doing something. You know, I got a habit, I'm getting up early and going to the gym. I got a habit, I'm eating right, or I got a habit, you know, I'm doing this, but they're all go- so it can be bad habits. It can be bad, I got a bad habit, and so Bad ha- a good habit is I'm going to church. A bad habit is I'm sleeping in. I'm sleeping in. So I think that's, that's what he's talking about. This was the habit. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Now, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who don't go to church. Did you know that? In fact, there was a Gallup poll done December 2021. That's just this past December Did you know that 70% of people in America claim to be Christians? 70%. Now, that's any kind of Christian. 70% claim to be Christians in America. So let's use the figure of 330 million people. That's about how many people are in America, and that number's going up by thousands every day. 330 million people in America, that means there are 231 million people in America... 70%-ish, who claim to be Christians. By the way, there are 2 billion Christians worldwide, 2 billion. But of that number in America, of, of 230 million people who say, I'm a Christian, that's 70% of the t- population, only 50 million gather in worship on any given Sunday. That's a big difference in there. There's 230 million people say, I'm a Christian, But only 50 million gather in church on Sunday. What happened to the other 180 million people? What are they doing this morning? What are they doing? And uh, so they're not participating in the life of of the household of faith. Where are they? Now, there's a lot of reasons why they're not here or in any church this morning. Some of them call themselves Christians, but they're not really Christians. That's just what they call themselves. They have no clue what a Christian is. But they, in a poll, will say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But they're not really Christians. So that's probably a bunch of them. Some people don't see any value in the local church. And this is, a, this is hurtful, you know, that they, they love Jesus, but they hate the church. You can even find books written to that. that. A lot of the younger generation, they love Jesus. They love God. But they hate the church for whatever reason. Some feel let down by the church because of sin or scandal. So they say, why, why should I be there if they're acting like that? Some give up on church because they never really got connected. You know, these churches doesn't connect with me. I, I don't connect with the singing. I don't connect with the, with the anything. I feel you, honey. I feel you. Some give up on church because uh, they're just lazy in their faith right you're just lazy they're lazy in their faith some just drift back into the world there's a lot of reasons you know America is one of the most individualistic nations in the world and in the history of the world and that individualism which we love that people died on the battlefield for sometimes can play against us because it makes us be such freedom loving people that we're always asking this question Whatever we do, wherever we go, whatever we participate in, we're asking one question. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? So I choose my restaurant, I choose my gym, I choose my school, I choose my church based on what can you do for me? It didn't used to be that way in America. You know, if that's where your parents went, that's where you went. But we are like that, and this causes a consumer mentality. It causes us to be church shoppers and church hoppers, and we're, uh, you know, we have to fight against this mentality. And all of this makes work in the church harder. It makes my job, it makes your job as members so much harder. So what I want to do with the rest of my time, the next 10 minutes or so, what are they missing? What are the people, the 180 million people who are not a part of a local church if it's a if it's a true a good local church what are they missing and so i want to i want to turn to the book of acts for this the book of acts there's a passage of scripture that i think a couple of them actually show us what we're missing here what are we missing if we're not a part an active part of the church of this family of god you know there are people who leave their family and they move and they don't call, they don't, they don't participate in family gatherings, they don't do things together and they're missing out on so much. That's why people who move away from their family sometimes have that loneliness unless they make connections where they are that they need and what they really need is a church family if they're going to live away from their blood family. But it's in Acts chapter 2, this is after Peter preached the first gospel message, and uh, he, they said, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized. And verse 41 says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added uh, that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Here's what I think people are missing. What was going on in the early church, and this is what's going on today, this is what people are missing if they're not an active part. Let's look at it again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This word devoted is a present active participle which simply means it, it is a, like a verb, but it has continuing action. If we were to translate this in English, it would have an I-N-G on it. And in fact, it does. Uh, the, the word could be they were devoting themselves. This says they devoted. They were devoting I-N-G. Some versions say they continued steadfastly. In other words, they were doing it, and they kept doing it. Uh, one version says they spent their time learning. Another says they persevered in. My favorite Bible to study with, my favorite version, is the New American Standard 1995. That's how it appears in your UVersion Bible app. It says they were continually devoting themselves to these things. So this is something the early church, this family... Said, this is is what's important. Let's do these things. Let's devote ourselves to this and let's do it not just today, but let's do it tomorrow. And we'll do it the next day, and we'll do it until we die, or the Lord comes back. What are they? Four things, real quickly. First of all, instructions to live by. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is, you know, we did you know that life came with an owner's manual? Life comes with an owner's manual. What is it? It's the Bible. It's God's Word. In 2 Timothy 3, it's, uh, all Scripture is, is uh, breathed out by God and is available to us to live our lives. Water is purest at its source. And when Luke uses the phrase here, the apostle's teaching, he's referring to the teaching done by those who were closest to Jesus, those who spent the most time with Jesus, those who knew best what Jesus meant when he said things and when he taught things this teaching was in agreement with the old testament the apostles teaching and it was also based on the teaching of Jesus put those together you have the apostles teaching now in the early church in this time they didn't have the bible they didn't they couldn't open up their bible app they couldn't open up a book even and read the bible they had available to them the old testament scrolls but they didn't have books like we have books they didn't have the bible So they depended on their leaders, especially the ones who spent the most time with Jesus, knew what he meant, to teach them how should we live our life. And that's what we have in the New Testament. You have either those who were an apostle or those who were with apostles, or like Paul, who became an apostle late, he considered himself, writing the New Testament. And so that's what we have, the The apostles' teaching, we have instructions to live by. Now, I don't know what people do who aren't a part of an active church. I I guess they can read the Bible on their own. Most of them probably don't. I'm just going out on a limb and saying, but they should, right? That's why I think if you have a social media account, and it's followed by just a number of people, put Scripture out. And it might be some of the only Scripture a lot of your friends who claim to be Christians will see. Put scripture out, let them read some things of what God says. Give them some instructions to live by. But what you do by, act, by actively participating every week and coming in here is you're getting a dose of some instructions. Now, these instructions come from God's word down into my heart and my brain and who knows what happens to them then, but they they spit out here on this, these pages called a sermon and then you can take that and the Bible says the people in Berea, they measured everything Paul taught by the Word of God, and so should you. But it's instructions to live by, and this was the foundation of the early church. And we need this today. You think we need the Bible today? You think we need the wisdom and the, the, what, what God's Word says? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything you do, every choice you make, every place you visit, every dilemma in your life, everything in your life ought to be filtered through, what does God say about this? What does God say about this? Let's see what he says first, and then we'll decide what we say about this. And hopefully what we say about this is what he says about this. Wouldn't that be great if our leaders, if people out there would ask that question, Well, they're not asking that question, but you and I have got to be. So the next time you have a problem in your marriage, next time you have a problem in your family, next time there's a dilemma in your life, next time you're wondering what to buy or where to shop or what to listen to, all this stuff, ask yourself, what does God say about this? That's what we have these instructions to live by. It's the Bible. Secondly, we have friendships that last. Oh, this is one of the best parts of being a part of the active. Uh, an active part of the, of the local church. True fellowship, the word here is fellowship, koinonia. Maybe you've heard that word if you've been in the church. It's a great word. It indicates a deep bond of brotherhood. The early church wasn't just interested in instructions to live by, but they, were, they wanted people to live these instructions out with. You know, this is what we call the tie that binds. Remember that old song, Bless Be the Tie that Binds? That's what we have here. That's, that's living out. In the local church, we live out what is called uh, the new commandment that Jesus gave in John chapter 13. It's the tie that binds. Now, this is the point in my message where I need some help. If you're an elementary student and you would like to help me, I need uh, about four of you. We've got four volunteers. All right, I'm going to take one from each section, okay? Uh, who wants to come from this section? uh brad i'll let you choose they both belong to you actually all three of those belong to you you choose anybody from this section i don't see any uh elementary kids in this section all right we can take okay come on up young lady i know you you need to get up here (laughs) keep you awake both of you because we need both of you all right you got to stand right there all right stand right there Now, I'm, I am need your help, okay? I need your help. All right, I need somebody to take this stack. Who wants this one? All right, you look fra- uh, very strong. All right, you take that one. Now, you take this one. Now, turn around and face your parents, all right? Now, we're going to do a little illustration here because we're going to break this bundle or... This stick, all right? So put it up there like you're going to break it. Hold it like this. You're going to snap it, okay? Ready? Put this hand over here like this. All right, now you, you, you. On the count of three, spread out a little bit. I don't want anybody to hurt anybody, hit anybody with a stick. On the count of three, I want you... (laughs) You're too smart, Colt. Get your hand right there. (laughs) I've got a point in all this. All right. All right. On the count of three, break your stick or bundle of sticks. One, two, three. All right, what's going on with the other two? You can't do it? Come on, try harder. You got it, you got it. Awesome, awesome. All right, you guys, I want you to take those back to your seats. Keep working on it. You can take those back to your seats. I don't want to find them in the floor after church, all right? Take them home with you. That's your object. That's your craft for today. All right, and everybody knows the point there, right? You know the point. Listen, you guys who had the big bundles, you guys who had the one stick, if you stand alone, if it's just you, boom, you're easily broken. But when you get together with other people, And there's several of you, and you bind together, and you make a bundle. It's hard to break you, isn't it? It's hard to break you. Now, you can keep trying. You can go get your daddy's chainsaw when you get home or Papa's axe or something and work on it, Colt. But it's going to take a whole lot to break a whole bunch. This is the beauty of the church, isn't it? It's the beauty of the church. You wonder how you're going to make it through the tough times in your life? How are you going to withstand the big blows of Satan or the world? And I'm not talking about flat tires and, uh, and breakdowns at home. I'm talking about loss in your family. I'm talking about uh, bad prognoses from your doctor. I'm talking about stuff that can wreck you. If you go that alone, you're so easily broken. But if you've got people around you who are praying for you, who are with you, who are helping you, you've got the tie that binds. And it's gonna be a lot harder for you to be a, to be a, a, you know, a, a piece of a broken, shattered person thrown off to the side if you've got people to, to hold you up and to bind you together. And you may still be hurt and parts of you may be broken, but you've got the body of Christ around you. Isn't that a wonderful model for the world? is that we stick together, we stick together. This is the Acts 2 model. Do you know how many one another's there are in the New Testament? There's a bunch of them. They loved one another, encouraged one another, lived in peace with one another, taught one another, held one another accountable, served one another, prayed for one another, spurred one another on to love and good works, they uh, bore one another's burdens, they comforted one another, they forgave one another when they got their feelings hurt, they confessed their sins. And you know what? The Bible says they even greeted one another with a holy kiss. Turn to your neighbor and ask if they've received their holy kiss yet this morning. And if you want to offer that, you can offer it, but no pushiness. You know, these people were so together. They were so bound together that they didn't even consider their own property their own if somebody else needed it. Listen to Acts chapter 4. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each one as they had need." Any of you have multi-generational family reunions still? Anybody go to those big reunions where it was your great-great-great-great-grandfather or your great-grandfather? Anybody go? We have one in my family every every summer, and there's so many people there. I don't even know who most people are. So we end up getting our food and going and sitting with our immediate family. It's like we're here, we're all family, but I'm just going to sit with the people I know. And every now and then, one of us will branch over here and find out something crazy about another part of the family and bring it back, you know, and we'll talk about it. But yeah, isn't that what we do? Well you had to hear what's going on with their family. No, that's your family. And you know, some people have, uh, have met and married at family reunions, right? I see I crossed the line there. I'm talking about your cousins who brought a friend with them to the reunion. Come on. But you know, in heaven, we're one big family. Somehow, I don't know how it's going to happen, you know there is no evidence in Scripture to indicate that your earthly family will operate like an earthly family in heaven. Now, I know that might be a little bit of, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to like that. You're going to love it. I mean, you'll, you'll still know people in heaven, You'll know your family. You'll know your, your whoever it is. But you're gonna somehow you're gonna you're gonna know everybody like their family. Like their family. Maybe some kind of enlightening, but we're gonna be there for one reason. That's because Jesus died to save us. And we're celebrating that together. I gotta hustle now. The third thing people are gonna miss if they miss out on the church is worship that matters. You know, worship was a big deal. In the Old Testament, it means to give value or worth to people. And every human being here will worship something or someone. Corporate worship in the Old Testament was a big deal. It was a big deal in the New Testament. They got together. They sang songs. They gave money. They heard a sermon. They, they had a fellowship meal in, uh, sometimes beforehand in the early church, at least in Corinth. Some of them, some of them may have spoken an unknown language to confirm the word of God that they did not have a copy of. They used their gifts and talents. This was the church they got together. But do you know what the object and the subject of their worship was? I just said it a little while ago. We see this in the book of Revelation because worship was not only a big deal in the Old Testament, New Testament, it's a big deal today. It's going to be a big deal for eternity. And here's what they sang about. Here's their, here's their worship. Revelation 5:12, this worship service, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. It's about Jesus. It's, you know, whatever you're giving worth to out there, whatever that is, doesn't compare to the worth of Jesus Christ and the life he gave on Calvary. Amen? He died for us on Calvary. Our worship is about him. It's To him. It is focused on his shed blood on Calvary's cross. And that's when our hands ought to go the highest: is that, Lord, you died for me, you paid the price I could never pay. It's worship that matters. You might get together with a bunch of people at a concert, and you may go listen to a great singer or go hear some comedic act, or you may go do a whole lot of things with a group of people, but you will never do anything more important than what we do here when we gather together in the Lord's house by giving him worship. And listen, if you are not so keen on the repetitive nature of modern worship songs, a lot of people complain, well, it's just repetition over and over, then you might want to get used to it because the Bible says in Revelation 4, 8, that the song is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. And if you're like, okay, I can take three holies, but if you look in verse 7, the Bible says this song was going on Day and night without ceasing. So if you, if, you're, if you complain about the repetitive nature of something, you might want to check that before you get into the streets of heaven because that's what's, what's going to be heard. Day and night without ceasing, Revelation 4-7. Holy, holy, holy. That's worship that matters. There's nothing else in this world that can offer that. And lastly, the thing that people are going to miss by not being a part of the Family of God is a connection that works. I recently read a tweet in light of the Uvalde shooting. Such a terrible, tragic thing. I just, I just don't even like to think about it. Do you? Don't even like to think about it. How anyone could pull the trigger on young children like this. But it's evil, folks. It's not a gun problem. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a legislation problem. It's a heart problem. It's sin. It's sin, and 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 I'll tell you what other problem it is. It's a it's a social media, and I people do what people see. People do, what people see. Just remember that, and you fill your mind with that stuff. You know, it might seem you know like this video game is harmless, but. Some people can't process it like you do, and it's going to get to an evil part in their brain, and it's going to be lived out. That's why pornography is so bad, because you might be looking at it saying no harm, no foul, but eventually you're going to want to play that out in real life. It's evil, folks, and that's what happened there. So in light of that, someone recently tweeted, our country desperately needs to replace moments of silence with hours of prayer. It's so true, isn't it? Someone said that some people are rich in worry because they're poor in prayer. We may pray on the run or in moments, but the early church prayed for hours. Bible says in Luke, uh, Luke says in Acts chapter 1, all these, you know, this was after Matthias. They had to choose Matthias to replace Judas. All these were, with one accord, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were devoting themselves to it, devoting themselves to it. I love what our, we have a little prayer nook over here in the, on the side. Uh, a lady named Tammy Carpenter put that together. Many of you know her. She was a prayer warrior for many years. I feel like she still is. Jane is leading the prayer ministry now, and I appreciate the prayers of everybody who prays. If you want to talk about our prayer ministry, talk to Jane Hainer. Raise your hand, Jane. Right there, she sits in the red shirt. She'll get you plugged into prayer. I love what our prayer says, our wall says over there. It says, faithful in prayer, faithful in prayer, and that's what we need to be. It's a connection that works. You want a good connection? connect up to God, he, he answers, hears. If you're not a part of the local church, these are the things you miss. And I think it would be a shame to miss these things. They're some of the sweetest things about life, and you can only get them in your local church. You can only get them in your local church. Now, I'm not saying it has to be Gateway. It could be some other church. I hope it's Gateway. This is what you get when you come. And I hope hope you'll help us make it better and better so people won't want to ever miss it. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we wrap up this family life series, I pray that families have been enlightened and inspired and encouraged. And I think we've been strengthened, Lord, by your word to us. I pray today that the family of God, the house of God, including the youngest in this room today to the oldest, would be inspired and thankful that we have a church a local church striving to honor and please you i thank you god for members who've been here a long time i see bobby uh, fisher out here and i thank you god for her her sticking with it and going through this entire journey with us and some others who've been here for 50 years or more and i thank you god that They see value in this place, and there are new faces. And, Lord, I pray that they would find the same meaning and value as others have found. And it would stick, and they would stick, and you would be glorified, and your church would grow and do what you want it to do in the world. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, let's stand and worship God one more time before we leave today.